Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Technical Difficulties, the podcast. I'm your host, Dustin, and this is part two of the Goosebumps-themed episodes. I don't know if I'm going to do it part three, but this is part two. Part one, we I, I kind of went into a little bit of the backstory of why I recently got back into Goosebumps, and then I introduced my book series that I have in the works, which is similar to Goosebumps. Then I read a book in the Give Yourself Goosebumps series. So that was kind of your triple, triple header there. But this episode, part two, what I want to do is I want to talk about the original book series. And I'm going to go through the first three books and kind of give my thoughts on them as well as the TV episode. Then because I love reading and reading on my show, I think it's fun. Um, there's a very disgusting short story from Robert Lawrence Stein, a.k.a. R.L. Stein. It is in the book. It's More Tales to Give You Goosebumps, which was 10 short stories. In the 90s, R.L. Stein did three books. Um, there might have been one in the late 90s, but each of them had 10 short stories. They're kind of Goosebumps mini stories. But there's a story in the second book, More Tales to Give You Goosebumps, that is so it's just so gross like even for a kid's book it's just nasty i i was reading like the audiobook version where they were reading the story and i was just like it gets under your skin and that's the one that i'm gonna read so tonight's episode's gonna get a little nasty just kidding it'll be well we'll keep it pg-13 here so let's start off with the Goosebumps books. So if you're not familiar with Goosebumps, which I hope if you're listening to this that you at least are familiar with Goosebumps as the series or book series, but for the uninitiated, Goosebumps is an iconic horror kids book series that also became a TV series, which also turned into games, toys, movies, you name it. But very early this is going to be 1992 i'm cheating i have the book in front of me robert lawrence stein aka rl stein released book number one in the goosebumps series now before this he had written a fear street book series which many of you are familiar with because of the recent netflix series now fear street was geared more towards uh teens and young adults whereas goosebumps is meant for uh reading it's reading level four so basically around the seven age seven through 12 age so it's he was attempting scary books for kids which there wasn't really a market for these kind of books around then um you know there's i'm trying to think i mean some of the old old fairy tales they were pretty creepy like rumpelstiltskin but there had never been like a just a straight up horror book series and R.L. Stein, he was throwing in some adult references like Night of the Living Dummy, Night of the Living Dead. You know, like he's able to kind of riff on. Basically, he was able to introduce a bunch of young kids into horror, and myself included, got hooked. Even though when I was a kid, I remember being at, I think it was Borders Bookstore, and I saw the cover of Night of the Living Dead in the kids section. I remember just standing, like, staring at it, and it freaked the crap out of me. And I had nightmares just thinking about that dummy. 
but there was something about that book series that made me want to seek it out. Like all all horror stuff, I know not everybody is a fan of horror, but for me, I'm just a sucker for anything horror. Like I'm just drawn to it. I can't tell you why. When I was young, I was afraid of everything. That's why I was afraid of the Night of the Living Dummy cover. But yeah, I got into it. And then for me, Goosebumps was a gateway into all other kinds of horror and Stephen King and just everything else. But I want to talk about the first book here. Now that I've given just a little little backstory. So hopefully by that long-winded description, you kind of understand what Goosebumps is like. It's a horror horror book series for kids from the early 90s. The first book, Welcome to Dead House. I'm like I'm a big fan of the TV episode, but the book I'm a little little ant on. Um, but I, I don't want to get too far into it. But ba- the basic plot of Welcome to Dead House is two two young kids. They move into a house like with their parents, like new new town. Everything's creepy and dark. Dead house. You can't you can kind of put two and two together so for the first three books i just recently reread these and i decided to give a grade to each of them while i read because i kind of want to keep track of the ones that really stand out so basically my letter grade is my my overall grade on reading these books and experiencing them now versus what i thought of them years ago but anyways a few weeks ago when i started reading the first 62 books I was reading Welcome to Dead House, and I can't remember if I had read the book when I was young, but reading it now, it definitely felt a lot different from the TV episode. Um, I guess I have read this book, but I've seen the TV episode more, so I mostly remember the TV episode, because the book is a bit different. It's similar, but... It kind of gets a little, for me, it gets a little murky towards the end. Like it's, you know, the build and everything is is the same between the book and the TV episode. But it's the ending that differs. So, for example, and I'm going to get into spoilers here. So, if you haven't read the book or seen the TV episode of Welcome to Dead House, yeah, I don't know. You should just stop what you're doing and watch it because it's, it's a great delight. But, basically... The difference between the book and the TV episode is that in the TV episode, it turns out that surprise, the the people in town are dead and they're coming back and they're they're basically like sentient, alive zombies, like they talk normally. They're just dead, you know, walking dead. And the family that moved in that's new to the town, they just want to turn them into them. And they're like, yeah, we want you to become one of us. They're not trying to eat them. They just are going to, like, turn them into zombies, basically. So then the family would live forever in this town as undead. Which is which is really cool, in my opinion. And then in the book, it's, it's the same concept, but they end up in a cemetery. And there's, like, a random mausoleum or coliseum thing. Or like like a little like I don't know outdoor amphitheater I don't know it's like super vague, but they're having like this meeting, in the sunlight, kills them, but they're in this meeting and the sun's coming up. But they have this it's like one tree that's covering them. So if the tree goes, you know they all fry to a crisp in the sunlight and die, and basically the two kids knock down the tree, where these people are having a meeting in this 
theater thing in the woods cemetery <laughs> just trying to explain it i mean do you see the difference between the two that's why in revisiting the books and the tv show i could definitely tell where the tv episode was better in some aspects versus the book um granted i love all the books i love the tv episodes even the ones that people consider the worst but for welcome to dead house i thought they handled the elements better and it overall was just creepier in my opinion although welcome to dead house is pretty creepy but i've got a i have a soft spot for the tv episode but and also i don't know it's more iconic <laughs> in my opinion all right so the second book is mm -mm, it's hard to look at the title i want to say the title out loud with wanting to say it like the dad in the episode but the second book in the goosebumps series is stay out of the basement oh such such an icon the the dad and the tv episode so the goosebumps stay out of the basement is book number two and oh one thing i forgot to do with welcome to dead house is describe the book cover the font and everything is purple and then it's got this deep dark blue looking spooky house and there's like a creepy glowing orange fiery ghoul in the window and it's got this gnarly looking tree and shrubbery that's an underrated word shrubbery but yeah that's the iconic uh art cover is it art cover for a book book cover book art cover for welcome to dead house now stay out of the basement is an opening basement door and it's got this sick sick looking green hand that looks like it's made out of like spinach like cream spinach and it's kind of crispy like when you when you go to applebee's and you get the spinach dip it's kind of like toasty on the top and the cheese is kind of toasty anyways i'm gonna make myself puke trying to describe this because it's also like a hand and there's like veins and stuff oh t jacobus this is ooh. <laughs> So, yeah, stay out of the basement. This one is about, again, it's two kids, the brother and sister. Um, and their dad, he's a botanist. He's a botanist. He studies plants, is an actual quote from the TV episode. And the same accent, too. But, basically, the dad's a botanist. He studies plants. And he's getting all wrapped up in uh, his experiment in the basement. And his kids are like, what the heck? You're acting weird. And then the mom's sister gets sick so the mom goes out of town to see her sister and then the kids are stuck home with the dad and the dad's acting all creepy he's trying to make him eat plant food and oh. all right this one is a lot <laughs> this one's a lot to get into i could do a stand like a standalone episode on this but this book and the tv episode are just fucking great the and granted you know it's you know, I don't even have to say granted. And, you know, it's it's a kid's show. It's a kid's book series. But it's done. The This episode and this book are done so well. It's The material is just so great and iconic. And R.L. Stein doesn't, like, dumb it down. He doesn't, um, he doesn't try to tone it down. It's just, like, it's very dark and it's very intense. Because this book, reading it, especially reading it as an adult, it's these kids and they're stuck with their verbally abusive dad who, like reading it it just gave me like really bad vibes and like i knew what it was ultimately going on with the dad because spoiler he's involved with plants he's getting a little weird 
you can kind of put two and two together, but he's kind of turning into a little bit of a uh, plant, plant dude. But the TV episode is so good, and it's really, it's it actually, like, it has real tension in it. And it's not, like, scary per se, but it has, like, real tension with how the how angry the dad gets and just how, the you know, it makes the kids feel they're, like, afraid of him. So, like, seeing these kids afraid of their dad, and then, like, there's a scene where the brother, um, Casey, leaves his sweater in the basement, and their dad's coming home, and... All the tension in the scene is because they're afraid of him. Like, they're afraid he's going to come in and, like, what he's going to do. So, I don't know. It, it took on this whole different connotation. And I could do, again, like I said, I could do a whole episode about um, stay out of the basement. Because it could be, like, the plant stuff could be a metaphor by somebody being, like, eaten or taken over. Like... This dude, this book, this book in this episode, it's about fucking abuse and trauma, y'all. I don't know what Arl Stein went through, but <laughs> thinking about it, I don't know, just kind of talking it out loud makes me realize how some crazy some of the stuff is. Because it's played dead serious. It's not like, ooh, I'm the spooky plant dad, ooh. But it's, they're really afraid of him. And it really, uh, in the episode and the book, they both portray it very realistically and it's not um yeah i don't know it's not really played for laughs that's what's to me scary about it but i have to say i think the tv episode is a bit better i remember in the book it was getting a little because here's the thing i grew up watching the tv episode and i haven't read this book in a while so I'm more used to the style and plot of the TV show, the TV episodes. It was a two-parter. So when I read the book, when it gets to the end, I'm thinking, okay, this is how the story ends, is how I remember it in the TV episode. And so and it's a bit different in the book, and it's not that it's worse, but I think it was cooler, the ending in um, the TV episode. And again, this is a spoiler, but... The daughter, she has to decide which of her dads is real. Because there's, like, the real dad and then the plant dad. There's stuff missing. You just need to watch the episode if you haven't seen it. But basically, she's trying to figure out which one is the real dad. And in the book... Oh, and she has, like, plant sprays. So whoever she sprays, if it's the plant, the plant's just going to die. But if she sprays the dad, like... You know, why didn't she just spray the dad then? Because he would have just reacted fine. But anyways, I'm thinking too much into it. But in the book, Margaret has... I don't know if I'm misremembering, but I think she has, like, a knife or something. And she's like, I'm going to cut the dad and see, like, which one bleeds, like, real real blood. Actually, one second. I need to, I honestly can't remember. Okay. So, and this, sorry, this kind of threw me off. So, in the TV episode, the the daughter, Margaret, she makes a comment that her dad stopped calling has stopped calling her princess. So, later in the episode, when it's the two dads, and she's got the, the plant killer, and she's trying to decide which one to spray, the one that calls her princess, she knows that's her dad, so she sprays the other one. And in the book, it has the same plot element with princess, but that's not why so in this one she actually takes a knife and she's going to cut and see who bleeds actual blood but in this one that's not why she stabs 
Like she she doesn't wait for him to say princess and then be like, oh, that's my real dad, and then st- stabs the plant dad. She's testing to see who has green blood and who has red blood. I don't know. That's another element of the TV episode that they they did better because then that makes the whole princess like he never calls me princess like more significant. But anyways, oh yeah, and this one's fucked up because so in the book. So she stabs the real dad, sees the red blood coming down. So then the real dad takes an axe and fucking chops the other dad in half. And this this sentence right here is disturbing. So the dad swings his axe and chops the other plant dad completely in half. And this next part is nasty. It says, A thick green liquid oozed from the wound, and as the man fell, his mouth locking open in disbelief and horror... Margaret could see that his body was actually a stem. He had no bones, no human organs. That's disturbing, yo. Like, I'm just picturing a a, a human being, like a full-size six-foot person, splitting in half, and it's just a giant stem in the middle. Like, that's fucked up. Oh, R.L. Stein. Why you gotta mess with me like that? But, like I said... I love I love the book. I love the TV episode. They're both fantastic. I would say A minus altogether. Like actually I'm thinking about it now. I don't know. Maybe the inconsistencies between the book and the TV show is why I'm a bit of an A minus cuz I'm not sure which one's more effective, but I you know, I'm going to stick with A minus. I don't know. Yeah. I think A minus is fair. Yeah, why am I rethinking it? Let's go to book number three. Which is... This is another one that I'm more familiar with the TV episodes than the book. Which is kind of weird because, like I said, I always kind of picture them together. But now that I have rewatched everything, I realize most of my memories of certain books slash episodes, I mostly remember it based on the episodes. And that's very, very interesting. I mean, it's interesting to me. I don't know if it's interesting to you. But you're still listening, so that's cool. So the third book in the Goosebumps series is the iconic Monster Blood. And when I say iconic, it's because green slime was... The 90s was just green slime everywhere. Any TV show you put on, any story you walked into, it was just green slime. Just... The 90s loved green slime. And Monster Blood has plenty of green slime. That's why it was so iconic. And that's why you would see the green slime goosebumps stuff. Like the low, it would have the goosebumps logo. You've got the green slime. Monster Blood is an icon. And it doesn't get any more 90s and goosebumpy than Monster Blood. The book cover, it's got a nice looking set of stairs with a tasteful red rug that kind of goes down each step and then there's nasty sloppy wet slimy green goopy monster blood dripping down the stairs and it's glistening from some light up in the distance and then there's a pair of adult glasses which is kind of like sliding through the slick green monster blood am i making you nauseous Hope you're not eating lunch. But this this cover combined with the... Uh, I'm going to say it's it's almost like a burnt orange 
background with like a deep blue Goosebumps logo, just border, just just fucking icon, Tim Jacobus, like, mwah. you, how did you make art so good? Anyways, so this book, um, I'm kind of, I'm just going to read a little bit off the back because the book and the, the book and the TV episode is a bit different. So the book, um, it's about Evan visiting his weird great aunt Catherine. There's a funky old to toy story. He buys a dusty can of monster blood. His dog ends up eating some, and then the dog starts to grow, starts to grow, starts to grow, and then the monster blood, monster blood is growing, growing, growing. So the TV episode is a bit different because it's the boy staying with his aunt, and in the book, the aunt is deaf. So she's deaf and she like doesn't give a shit about Evan. Like she's so mean in the TV episode. His aunt's just weird. She's not deaf. She likes to um, dance and pretend to be a conductor in the living room. You mean it's growing? That's exactly what I mean. When she's doing that and being the conductor, she's queen. She's an icon. So you need to watch the Monster Blood episode to to experience that. But Great Aunt Catherine, she's weird. She makes Evan eat these weird-looking cookies that are green. And when I was a kid, I always thought that the cookies she gives him in the TV episode are green because they're she put Monster Blood in them. Like, doesn't that make the most logical sense? Because Monster Blood is green. So I always thought that the cookies like had Monster Blood in them. Because he the cookies are green, and then he finds the Monster Blood, and that's green. I don't know why. I thought that as a kid. It still makes logical sense to me. You can fight me online if you disagree. So just let's move on. <clears throat> so, but the TV episode, his uh, trigger does eat the monster blood as well. But he doesn't get the monster blood from a funky toy store. That was kind of a red herring that Earl Stein put in the book. Because you think that the monster blood is cursed or whatever from this creepy toy store but he gets it from the creepy toy store then when he brings it home it gets cursed which makes it grow and such and then the tv episode great aunt catherine has a room that she says is forbidden and the the second his aunt catherine walks outside of the house he goes in that forbidden room you know he's gonna do that you don't just tell a kid don't do this and then leave they're gonna fucking do what you told him not to do so you know what? He goes in that forbidden room and he sees a bunch of witchcraft looking stuff. And then he goes in a cabinet and he finds a jar labeled monster blood. Now, in my opinion, the TV episode is much better because there was, there was some kind of, I don't know. It felt like a mystery. Like when he went in that room, because I'm sure you visited somebody's house when you were growing up and there was always like a room or a part of the house or somewhere that you weren't allowed to go. So you always thought like, Oh, I want to see what's in there. So I felt like in the episode, it tapped into that that idea when you're staying somewhere. And if you're staying, and in this case, you're staying with your relative who's like weird and you don't want to be with her. And then there's this creepy room and you're stuck with her. And then she leaves to run errands. It's like, you're sure it's going to go in that room. And that, so you can't really blame Evan for doing that. But something about that room and him finding everything in there, all the witchcraft and books, and then finding the, there's a whole wardrobe he opens and it's just full of all these like artifacts and stuff 
and one of them is this jar of monster blood so it really makes you wonder like what was going on in there like what that other stuff was like that's like a whole world you know in that room and then in the book it's similar in the sense that there's like the woman who did witchcraft and then she gets cursed and she curses the ant takes away the ants ability to hear or read lips and then the ant who's in the cat no i think in, i don't know if it was i don't know if she was related to the Anne catherine or if she was a friend of Anne catherine but basically the woman cursed Anne catherine made her deaf and she can't read lips and then turned into a cat and then when evan stays then the aunt's friend as the cat like curses the monster blood toy that she got from the toy store <clears throat> like can you see why when i'm revisiting these why in a lot of aspects the tv the tv show just makes more sense versus the book it's like yeah you're reading it and while you're reading it it makes sense but then if you talk it try to talk it out loud you're like trying to make sense of it you're like wait what um but but seriously all three of them you know pretty different from the tv episodes stay out of the basement i think stays closest to its tv episode um all three are great and wonderful again like regardless of my letter grade i'm like they're all five stars in my book but with monster bullet i i was gonna go with a b um and that would include the tv episode as well yeah i don't know the tv episode like i enjoyed it maybe i enjoyed it more as a kid is what what i'm getting at but still still love them both still just iconic as all heck this is a classic triple threat here if you want to get your spook on and you want to experience goosebumps i highly recommend pick up welcome to dead house stay out of the basement and monster blood once you read these three i promise you you will be like me and you'll want to read all franken 62 wow that was that was fun i'm enjoying i'm gonna have to go through all 62 books i mean i know this is only part two of the goosebumps series but i might have to do a part three and part four and etc etc because there's a whole lot of goosebumps out there you know what this is just that's it this is a goosebumps podcast i've decided <laughs> i'm just kidding but i could honestly see myself doing that all right now i'm gonna try to do a bit of a normal transition here and it's time for me to read to you in more tales to give you goosebumps is a short nasty story it is it legit when i was listening to the audiobook or the audio version i legit was gagging i was driving by the way can you hear the book <laughs> but i was driving and listening to the audio version and i was legit gagging like whew, all right so i hope you're ready i hope you're done with your lunch and whatever snack you have i just just don't eat when I read this to you, okay? This story is called Suckers. Gross, I shrieked. Alex Pratt shook the wriggling jellyfish in my face. 
What's the matter, Ashley? Scared of a little jellyfish? She's a wimp. Oh, some old summer people are wimps, Jimmy Sturin exclaimed. He's Alex's best friend. Alex and Jimmy are 14 years old, a year older than me. They think they're really cool because they live on Black Island all year round. And anybody who doesn't live here is a wimp. And that includes my little brother Jack and my cousin Greg. Drop it on her head. Do it. Do it. Go on, Jimmy urged, pushing his dark, greasy hair out of his eyes. Alex snickered. He dangled the jellyfish over my head. Then he lowered it, slowly. Leave her alone, my cousin Greg yelled. He was hiding right behind me. You know, I think they might be right about Greg. He's kind of a he's kind of a wimp. Alex pushed me aside. Not hard to do. Alex stands at least four foot taller than me and is twice as wide. I smell gummies, Alex crowed. He moved in closer to Greg. He shoved him back hard. Hand them over, Greggy. No way, Greg replied, and quit shoving me, please. Yeah, Jack echoed. Quit shoving him, or you'll be in big trouble. I take karate, you know. The karate kid, Jimmy sneered. And gummy boy, added Alex. Get them! Alex and Jimmy jumped. They knocked Greg and Jack down into the sand. Then Alex sat on top of Greg. Look what I found, Alex said, pulling out a big bag of gummies from Greg's pocket. He lifted the bag and emptied it into, it, emptied it into his mouth. Then the two tough guys jumped up and ran. Alex and Jimmy are ruining our whole summer, I wailed. We walked along the beach. Greg plucked a piece of driftwood from the shore and hurled it into the ocean. I hate those creeps more than anything, he muttered. I'm going to make them pay. Yeah, Jack cried with enthusiasm. When I earn my black belt, I'll karate them. My teacher says I'm lightning. Greg rolled his eyes. You have about ten belts to go, he reminded Jack. Then he slid his hands into the front of his shorts. His face lit up. Hey, they didn't get all my gummies. He fished a crumpled bag out of his right pocket. Then he chomped a few of the slimy candies into his mouth. Greg chomps a few dozen of them a day. He passed the bag to Jack. Want one? Jack chewed away in silence, quiet for once. How about you, Ash? He offered the bag to me. No way, I replied. Worm candy. Ugh. Totally gross. You're nuts, Greg replied. These are awesome. They're the best. He raised the bag to his mouth and gobbled the rest of the worms down. Hey, Ash, look. Greg grinned at me. Little bits of green, purple, and red gummy worms stuck to his teeth. Yuck, you are gross, totally gross. Right, Jack? I asked. Right? Jack didn't answer. What's that, he said, pointing to a big trunk up ahead on the beach at Bowen's Cove. The three of us raced through the sand to the trunk. Jack reached it first. The rusty old chest was as long as a coffin, draped with barnacles and seaweed, and padlocked. Jack hopped up and down. It's a pirate's chest, full of treasure, gold and jewels. It's not a pirate's chest, Greg replied. It probably just fell off a boat and washed ashore. I bet it's full of fishing gear. I wrinkled my nose. The chest smelled moldy and sour. I bet it's full of rotten fish. Jack danced around the chest. Let's open it. Hurry. He slammed the lock of the side of his left hand. It didn't budge. I'll open it, Greg bragged. Stand back. He lifted his foot, then smashed it down hard on the lock. Nothing. I scanned the beach. A few yards away, I spotted a sturdy piece of driftwood. I hurried over and carried it back. Then I shoved the wood into the tiny space between the lock and the lid. With two hands, I slowly pushed down on the wood. Pop! The lock shot open. 
Way to go, Jack cried. Then the three of us started to lift the damp, heavy lid, inch by inch. Whoa, I cried as it banged wide open. A big, green, quivering blob sprang out and flew right at me. It latched onto my leg. Help, it's got me, I shrieked. Pull it off, pull it off. I shook my leg wildly, but the thing held on, cold and slimy, clammy, and as smelly as a hundred dead fish. Not 99 dead fish? Just 100? Oh, yeah, anyways. It wrapped itself ar tightly around me. It covered my leg from my ankle to my knee. Help, I yelled to Jack and Greg, but they stood frozen with fear. I pushed frantically at the slimy blob. My fingers sank into the cold green gunk. Ooh! I, <laughs> I let out a moan as I felt underneath the skin. The thing had suckers. All right, this book gets fucked up. Suckers that twitched and tugged at my skin. And the more I struggled, the tighter they grasped my leg. Thwack. <laughs> it moved. It dragged itself up my leg by its suckers. Oh, leaving a burning, itchy trail. Oh, I'm going to fucking puke. Get it off, I moaned. Greg and Jack awoke from their trance. They grabbed for the blob. They yanked at it, but the suckers dug deeper into my leg. Thwack, thwack. Oh. The blob inched up my thigh, <coughs> squeezing harder. Oh, my God. Greg pounded the blob with a stick. Off, slime ball, he yelled. Off. Greg, stop, I cried. You're smashing my leg. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just picturing he's like hitting it with a stick and it's just missing completely. It's just fucking hitting my leg. Thwack. The blob yanked a moist sucker off my thigh. Oh my god. Moist sucker? <laughs> I'm gonna fucking retch. And wiggled it in the air, almost as if it were sniffing. Then it nosed the sucker into Greg's t-shirt pocket. Oh my god. This is a kid's book. Whoa, Greg cried and jumped back. The sucker emerged with a gummy worm. Schlop! <laughs> it sucked the candy into its slimy body. It, it ate a gummy worm, Greg stammered. Did you see that? But it doesn't have a mouth, Jack shuddered. It doesn't even have a head. Now the blob quivered up my stomach. The suckers jerked at my skin. Ugh, would it slurp me down too? <laughs> what the fuck? Dude, this book is fucked. Stop talking, do something, I screamed. Greg grabbed a bunch of gummy worms from his pocket. He dangled them in front of the blob. Thwack, thwack. The creature flew off me and heaved itself at the gummy worms. Girl, same. Then it slurped them down. Girl, same. Yes, you did it, I cried. But now it's on me, Greg moaned, and I'm out of gummies. The book should end there. That would have been great. I stared in horror. The blob clung to Craig's arm, writhing, pulsating. Ugh. Jack, Jack gaped at the creature. I think it's growing. Jack was right. The creature strangled J Greg's arm and oozed across his chest. More candy, Greg choked. In my bedroom, hurry, it's squeezing me. <laughs> Why is that so funny? <laughs> More candy. In my bedroom, hurry, it's squeezing me. Oh, that's amazing. Jack and I raced to the front door of our beach cottage. We turned the doorknob. Holy shit, that was quick. It was in two sentences. The in two sentences, first they're on the beach, and then they're immediately at the doorknob. That's just great. Anyways, doorknob locked, nobody home. Jack flung the doorman aside and found the key hidden there for us. He opened the door, and we sprinted up to Greg's bedroom. Check his dresser, I ordered. I yanked open Craig's, I'm sorry, Greg's closet door. I pawed through his sweatshirts and jeans. Not a single gummy. Yeah, he usually keeps his gummies <laughs> hung up in the closet. 
I can't find any, can't find any in the dresser, Jack cried. Check under the bed, I said. Check everywhere. I dug through the bottom of the closet. Sneakers. Dirty socks. Finally, I spied the familiar bags. Dozens of them. I found gummies, I cried in triumph. I snatched up a bag. Empty. Then another. And another. All empty. What are we going to do? Jack wailed. We'll go to the store. Come on, hurry. Let's find our bikes. We pedaled furiously to Simpson's General Store. We dropped our bikes outside the store and dashed inside. Packages of gummy worms were piled up on the counter. I snatched about 20 bags, all I could carry. Jack did the same. That will be, Mr. Simpson started. Oh no, money. I didn't have any money. Mr. Simpson, please. I don't have any money. And I need these gummy worms, I explained frantically. It's a matter of life and death. They're for Greg. <laughs> Dude, it's been like three fucking hours. Greg is dead by now. Greg, he's my best customer, always buying gummy worms. Okay, go ahead. I'll charge it to your parents' bill. <laughs> what kind of town is this? Anyways, thanks, Mr. Simpson, I called. We rushed out of the store. Jack and I tossed the bags of candy into my bike basket. There's the shortcut to Bowen's Cove, Jack cried. He pointed to a dusty road off Main Street. Let's take it. I hesitated. Okay, I agreed. But you better be right. We raced to the road, then skidded into the turn. Oh no, Jack cried. My gear chain slipped. I have to fix it. Go ahead without me. Just stay on this road, then turn at the cutoff. It's not far. Perfect, I mumbled, rolling my eyes. I zoomed down the deserted dirt road. I whizzed by the tall dune grass. So quiet. So still. No one in sight. Except fucking Greg, who's dead by now. God, it's been three... So I'm just kidding. It's just been such a long time. Like, Greg had this disgusting sucking thing on him and it's been a long time and they're just like going on this adventure and trying to find gummies like they could have tried grabbing the thing anyways let's get back there was no cutoff for the cove i braked to a complete stop turned my bike around i think i'm lost i said out loud you're found now the dune grass parted alex and jimmy came lumbering out they gripped my handlebars I hate bullies. And they always come at the worst possible time in every single stinking Goosebumps book. Roadblock, Jimmy smirked. No summer people allowed. Alex peered inside my bike basket. Yum, gummy worms. Hey, Jimmy, Ashley wants to share her candy. Ugh, they're the worst. No, I shrieked. I need those. Alex and Jimmy began tearing into the gummy worm bags. I tried to yank my bike away, but Alex grabbed onto the handlebars again. Then Jack came pedaling up, hair flying, racing up the path, his tires throwing huge dirt clouds up in the air. Alex and Jimmy turned to face him. I quickly, I quickly moved my bike to the roadside. Clear the path, jerks! Jack cried out. Uh-oh, watch out, Jimmy. The karate kid is going to run us over, Jimmy laughed. Jack kept coming. When he was nearly on top of them, he flung his legs out and he kicked them both in the, in the dirt. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Fuck those motherfuckers. They can just lay in the dirt and get run over. With a cheer, I jumped up on my bike. We sped away. You'll be sorry, I heard Alex call after us. Yeah, you guys are in big trouble, Jimmy yelled. You guys are in trouble. You're fucking bullies. We flew down the road, and there it was, the cutoff to Bowen's Cove. We reached the beach in minutes. We scooped up the candy and sprinted down to Greg, who is fucking dead. No, I'm just kidding. And gasped. The oily blob bulged and quaked, mu quaked much bigger, bigger than Mom's beach umbrella, and no sign of Greg. Um, that's not a surprise. Then I heard a faint cry. Help me, help me. Greg, I screamed. Where are you? Thwack, thwack. The slimy blob quivered in the sand. And that's when I saw a sneaker 
Greg Sneaker. He's under the blob, I screamed to Jack. Can't breathe, Greg moaned. Hold on, Greg, I cried. I quickly ripped open a small bag of gummy worms and placed six candies down in a thin line. Thwack, thwack, slop. The slime monster slid forward and slurped the gummies up eagerly. Girl same. More! Open more bags, I told Jack. He tore through the bags, and I flung huge handfuls onto the sand. Thwack. The blob plucked a slimy sucker off Greg. It quivered excitedly. Oh, no. Why? Let Greg go, I thought. Please let Greg go. I threw a mound of gummy worms on the sand. Shrimp! The monster yanked its suckers off Greg. It rolled forward and slurped down the candy. I spun around to Jack. Lots more gummies. Fast! Try to lead the creature back into the chest. Greg stumbled as he tried to stand on his wobbly legs. Then he and Jack tore open bags and bags of candy. I placed a thick trail of gummies in the sand. A river of gummy worms leading to the chest. Thwack, thwack, schlop, schlop. The creature followed our trail, slurping down candy, a foot from the chest. The chest! Throw some gummies into the chest, I commanded. Jack and Greg pitched the candy in. Thwack. The blob lurched forward, inches from the chest. Throw the bags in! There's no time to open them, I shouted. The blob wriggled its way up to the chest wall, but it had grown too big, too big to heave itself up. We have to push it in, I cried. Jack drew back. You push it in, he shouted. I'm not touching that blob. What if it grabs me? Not me, Greg protested. That thing nearly strangled me. But it's our only chance, I wailed. We have to boost it back in. This is stressful, y'all. They didn't move. I threw myself against the creature and shoved, but my hands kept slipping. It's too slimy, I moaned. I need your help, please. Jack and Greg stepped forward. Then we all pushed and pushed and pushed. Sweat ran down my forehead. The boys' faces turned to bright red. Slowly, we ho hoisted the monster into the chest, one oily bulge at a time. Then we slammed the lid down and jumped on top. Hey, look, Jack pointed down to the front of the chest. A bag of gummy worms hung out. Gummies, Greg cried gleefully. Awesome, exactly what I need right now. He leaned over to lift the lid. Are you crazy, I shrieked. The thing in the chest almost squeezed you to death. Don't lift that lid. Uh-oh, Jack warned. We glanced up to see Alex and Jimmy angrily charging toward us. Jack, just the guy we're looking for, Alex called. I think we owe you something. We scrambled off the chest and headed full speed for the dunes. I turned back and saw Alex and Jimmy stop in front of the trunk. Look, gummy worms, Alex cried, pointing to the bag, poking through the lid. Excellent. There's plenty more inside, I called. Then Jack, Greg, and I watched as Alec and Jimmy eagerly pulled up the lid. <laughs> I guess you could say that Alex and Jimmy are suckers. <laughs> Wait, is that the joke? That's the joke. That's why, I, oh my god, this whole story is just a joke. It's just a build up to... Alex and Jimmy being suckers. So the whole thing is a pun. I'm just kidding. I mean, that could be it. R.L. Stein, he was actually, he wrote jokes. He wrote kids' joke books before he did R, uh, Fear Street. <laughs> before he did R.L. Stein. <laughs> no, before he did Fear Street, he did, um, like, kids' books. And he did, um, like, kids' joke books. So he has a background in humor. And that's why a lot of the books and TV episodes have a humorous slant to them. Like, he knows what he's doing. They're, they're kind of uh, a riff on morality tales. 
and he injects humor into it, but also real, real genuine unease because they're all told from a kid's perspective. So some, some books are terrifying because they're happening to kids and the parents always don't believe them. And that's kind of a scary idea that I don't know if it was just the nineties, but I don't know. I kind of grew up in a lot. I know it's a lot of books and a lot of shows and stuff. It's like stuff happening to the kids and like the parents don't listen to them and like, don't do anything about them. And I don't know. It always like resonated with me because as a kid, I, I don't know. I felt like I couldn't like speak up. Like I felt like I couldn't use my voice or like what I said. It like, didn't, it didn't matter. Like, you know, not that I wasn't believed or anything, but I don't know. I wasn't encouraged to like speak up. And that's, that's what I feel like these books and like in the TV show tap into is when you're a kid and you have all this crazy cause you're just experiencing life for the first time. And you have these things happening to you and you try to reach out to your parents or the adults around you or people at school for help. And a lot of them don't, they kind of make things worse or like don't listen to you or don't believe you. And even though the books are about like scary stuff, it really does tap into that feeling. Cause I remember feeling like that. I mean, I was homeschooled, but I remember feeling at times where it was just like stuff happening and I just, I have no say, I can't do anything about it. And it's kind of a paralyzing feeling not to get into like a therapy session, but Hey, it's my show. It can be a therapy session if I want, but as I got older, I found it was hard for me to communicate and I avoided conflict like very much. So I would go way out of my way. I would make things worse for myself by avoiding conflict because I was just not used to, I couldn't, you know, speak for myself. I couldn't speak up. I was, you know, I was raised to basically just keep quiet and shut up. If you know, if you know what's good for you kind of thing, kind of tough love. And that, it kind of did a number on me, like as I was growing up and like my teen and young adult years and then my mid adult years, I don't know. I'm 32. <laughs> I forgot how old I was for a second. But um, yeah, like I had to unlearn a lot of things that I because I would react to situations based on that simple idea. Just as a kid, not being able to talk, feeling like, you know, your voice can't be heard feeling like you need to keep your mouth shut. And, you know, and that led to me just wanting to avoid like any situation because I'm not used to having to, or to like really getting to like speak my mind. So then like when I would need to speak my mind and be that person, I couldn't be that person. And so I would, it, you know, they talk about fight or flight. I would choose flight. <laughs> it's me, flight. I could have been in airlines with all the times I chose flight. And... Yeah, I've learned you can't you can't always flee. Sometimes you got to stay and sometimes you got to fight and sometimes you got to you got to know when to when to not talk and when to talk because sometimes not talking is worse than talking and sometimes talking is worse than not talking. I know that's kind of vague, but I don't know for me, I'm really 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 not careful, but I'm really choosy with my conversations because your words and your actions and everything, like you can put bad energy into the world. And I really try to put good energy into the world. And like, I might not 
be able to get along with everyone. Like, I don't know, some people I just don't gel with, but I try really hard to just be just a, a nice person. Like, not that, I know there's a lot of people who are like, they're really just like a narcissist, narcissistic asshole, but you know, people who are nice because they want things. And like, I'm nice because I just want to be like, I don't want things like, and like, I don't care about money and stuff. Like, I don't know. It's just like the person I am. And so I try to like any situation I'm in, wherever, if I'm online, if I'm in person, if I'm, you know, in a professional environment, whatever, I try to be the same person all the time. I try to be consistent because what, what's the point in like pretending I'm nice when I'm just really an asshole and like unhappy, you know? And I know like a lot of people <laughs> out there don't, they're not going to think like that, but I try to be genuinely peaceful and grateful for my life and for everything I have. And man, this is, this is great to be talking about this stuff. I keep a lot of things to myself. There's a lot I don't tell people. A lot of dark things I've been through and a lot of dark thoughts I've had in like even recently in like the past year I've had some really dark days so I just want to thank you if you're listening I I care about you I don't even you could be just a random person who found my podcast or you might be someone I know but I care about you I care about everyone that I've met and know and I don't know I don't know. This show isn't just like, yeah, I'm doing it for fun and everything, but like it's a it's my attempt to like put a part of me out there, put a part of my personality out there, my positivity, my my humor. I don't know. I just want to share it and hopefully it resonates with you. Hopefully it resonates with someone. I hope that if you're going through a rough time right now and you're listening to this that you just know that you're not alone. And again, not to make this so like <laughs> therapeutic or sad or whatever, but I've been pretty sad lately, yo. Like, and I'm, I feel like a lot of us are feeling that and we do, we use a lot of things to kind of hide, hide from those feelings, but I want to talk about it. I think it's very important and I hope that you have someone that you can confide in and talk to about the stuff that really keeps you up at night. Um, and man, this really took a different term, turn from the beginning. This whole episode, though, this is going to be wild. Um, I'm cheesy and I like to, when I make stuff, I like to watch it and experience it, like, re on repeat. I have no idea why. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's nice when you make something and you can experience it. So I'm, I'm excited to listen to this. I know I talked about a lot tonight, but... This is a great place to leave off at. I love talking about goosebumps. I love talking about life. I love talking about the things I'm doing, the things that excite me, and the things that bring me joy. I can't wait to have more people on this show. I can't wait to keep doing this. I hope you're listening. If you got something out of this episode, I, I don't know. Just, like, tell someone about it. Like, I don't know. I feel like we need to look out for each other more. And if this silly you know, episode did something for you and like meant something to you and you feel like it could do the same for someone else, you know, feel free to share it. You know, it's <laughs> anyways, not to get super cheesy, but 
If you do want to leave me some good feedback, just say hi. Um, you can look me up on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter as Dustin Hendricks Six, and that's all the social media stuff I can think of at the moment. But yeah, feel free to say hi. I'm looking forward to the next episode I'm going to do, which I believe is going to be my buddy Matthew, who's a musician and a DJ, and I'm trying to have him on hopefully this this coming week, where we're going to talk about what he's been up to and also get into music because him and I are both very into music. So I'm looking forward to having Matthew on. I've got my friend Tony, who is an improv actor and filmmaker and artist, and he's just a swell guy. I can't wait to have him on. I don't know what topic we're going to have yet, but yeah, I look forward to having more guests on my show and doing more episodes like this and continuing my Goosebumps conversation. And as always, I'll see you on the next episode.